This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott Sami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Serdorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at americasrt. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable. This weekend on America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., we're delighted to welcome John Gibbs, a principal advocate for freedom and the rule of law, and a Republican candidate for the 3rd Congressional District in the state of Michigan. John Gibbs was appointed by President Trump as Assistant Secretary for Community Planning and Development at HUD under Secretary Ben Carson, where he oversaw an annual budget of $8 billion to help fight homelessness and expand economic opportunity. John Gibbs was nominated by President Trump to be the director of the Office of Personnel Management and prior to his service in Japan, where he helped churches, the vulnerable using technology and deployed homeless outreach strategies, John worked as a software developer in Silicon Valley on cybersecurity and on the first version of the iPhone at Apple. And on this note, we welcome John to America's Roundtable. A good morning to you, John. Welcome, John. Good morning, and thank you for having me on. It's really a pleasure to speak. Thank you, John. Economy continues to be the top issue for voters in America and Michigan, followed by education, violent crime, and immigration. And according to the latest survey by the Pew Research, inflation remains the dominant economic concern for Americans. And majority of Americans are very concerned by prices of food and consumer goods, 73% of all surveyed. 69% are very concerned with prices of gasoline and energy prices, and 60% are very concerned with the cost of housing. Uh, the most recent consumer price index for September 2022, which includes a basket of various goods and services, increased by 8.2% in one year, while the core inflation, which excludes food and energy prices, reached 6.6% in September, the highest annual increase in 40 years. Uh, John, what is your message to Michiganders and Americans as they cast their vote in the midterm election? Elections. What can they expect from their representatives, Republicans and Democrats, on addressing inflation and curtailing government spending? Yeah, well, thank you. That's a very good question, and that's probably the most important question of this election. And my very simple answer would be to say, if we uh, Republicans take the House and if I win my seat here, which I think we are going to, uh, then help is on the way. Uh, these gas prices are just hurting people uh, severely. The grocery store prices. Uh, we even went to a pork processing plant. They're paying something like six or seven times more for the plastic that you wrap the meat in and the same more for the wooden pallets that you set the meat on top of. So our businesses are having to pay way more for their inputs that they need to create their product. So this is really a serious problem that we've got to solve. And I'll say the first thing we have to do is reduce spending. 
Um, we've had something like a 50% increase in the federal balance sheet over the past two years. That's insane. We've got to cut some of the spending and we've got to uh, make it so that money is allocated through capitalism, not through government fiat and money printing, which causes inflation and hurts lots of innocent people. That's the first thing we have to do. And when it comes to energy, we need something very simple, American oil from American soil. We need more supply from our own country uh, because we know from basic economics, when you have more supply, prices go down. Uh, this is a very simple thing to do. We could be doing it right now, but our leadership at the top is totally incompetent, um, so they're not doing it. We need to increase production dramatically so that we can reduce prices. And let me make a clear distinction between myself and my opponents. My opponent supports the Green New Deal. Uh, the Green New Deal would make every single thing you're seeing right now much worse, whether it's inflation or whether it's gas prices specifically. Um, it is a scheme to have government control over our economy under the guise of being for the environment, which it absolutely is not. Uh, so that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is, you know, within the Republican Party, we have diversity. We have social liberals, social conservatives, libertarians, etc. We have many different flavors in our party. Um, the Democrat Party, you don't see that so much. They tend to be very much lockstep. So if you anyone votes for my opponent, Hillary, you're going to get Pelosi and you're going to get Joe Biden. That's what you're getting if you vote for my opponent. And she's going to reflect those same policies of shutting down all domestic energy uh, production so that we have even higher prices and less energy independence, um, as well as increasing the massive spending we having that we're having right now. That will lead to more inflation. So that's what my opponent stands for. And she has stated that she stands for that. Um, when it comes to crime, it's even worse. Uh, my opponent supported the rioters in our city of Grand Rapids in my district in 2020 and also supports cashless bail, which is a scheme to let repeat violent offenders back out in the streets as soon as possible. Um, so this, these are policies that would literally get people killed. Um, I'm tough on crime. Um, I believe that we need to be fair, but we also need to be tough. We need to protect uh, the citizens uh, so that we have safe streets and that we reduce the crime that has been increasing dramatically over the past several years. So that's where I stand. I would say on all those issues, help is on the way. John, in September of this year, we were joined by retired judge and former chief judge of the Michigan Court of Appeals, Henry Saad, on the concerns of the national security crisis on the southern border, the wave of illegal immigrants entering the U.S., and the illicit trade of human trafficking and drugs coming to the United States with the Mexican cartel, transnational organized crime networks making billions of dollars. And Judge Saad relayed his grave concerns about the deterioration of the rule of law in America as it relates to the crisis on the border. Just a few weeks ago, USA Today reported that the DA seized some 4 million deadly doses of fentanyl in Michigan, Ohio from May to September and a record-breaking that we know of 107,000 people in the U.S., including 3,000 people in Michigan, died of drug overdoses last year and the majority of these deaths were caused by fentanyl. John, what are your policies so what are the policies that you would advance and implement in Congress to address this profound national security crisis on the border with illegal immigrants, guns and drugs such as fentanyl heading to America's heartland? Well, thank you for pointing that out. This is a huge, huge problem. And let's first establish that uh, in today's day and age where we are right now, every state is a border state. I was literally speaking with someone last night who was connected with Ottawa County Sheriff's. That's a county in my district in Michigan. They are having a crisis because the number of people who are needing to recover from fentanyl is so large, they don't have enough facilities in the county for them. This is hitting us so hard in Michigan with the increase in fentanyl deaths and people who are on, have been using that, unfortunately. It's a very, very sad thing. It has increased dramatically just over the past two years. Uh, there has been a very significant increase in the number of people dying from fentanyl. So this is a huge crisis. 
Uh, there's so many ways you can look at it. One is the number of migrants dying trying to come here. I believe it's something like 700 per year now, the highest number ever recorded. Um, they are actually getting people killed by having no enforcement on the border. And the coyotes and the drug cartels are doing human trafficking on these poor people to get them here. And many are dying at record levels. Um, our current leadership is totally derelict in being able to handle this basic responsibility of any country. Any country on earth has a right to control its borders and decide who comes in and how many. That's the right of every sovereign nation, including us. So the first thing I would say as far as solutions, we have to secure the border physically. So that means a wall, a barrier, we need that on the border because it works. Um, it deters people from coming across. Second, we need more manpower on the border so that we can deter people with that extra manpower. That's the first uh, urgent priority. The second thing we have to do is correct the asylum system. The way asylum is supposed to work is that you seek asylum in the first safe country. That is not what's happening right now. What is happening is people are coming all the way to the United States, passing through many different countries, then they seek asylum when they get here. That is actually inappropriate, invalid. That's not how it works. That's an abuse of the system. We have to stop that. The third thing we need to do is we need to increase interior enforcement. That means more resources for ICE so that we can um, enforce those who are here illegally, who are committing crimes and causing damage to our society, to be able to better um, get those individuals and send them back home. We need a lot more resources on that, and so we need more interior enforcement. Um, a lot of this also lies on the originating countries. Um, when you look at countries like El Salvador, Guatemala, and Mexico, they often use illegal immigration as a safety valve so that they do not have to take care of the poorest of the poor in their own country. And then when they come here, they send billions of dollars a year back home, so they get a double benefit. We need to put more pressure and more consequences on these countries to step up, get rid of corruption, increase the rule of law, increase the competitive economy so that they can take care of their own people instead of having to let them come here as a safety valve so they don't take care of them. That's not fair to us. Uh, we don't have unlimited resources in our country. We only have limited resources, um, and so we can't take on everyone in the whole world. Um, so I would say those are some solutions we could get on right away. John, uh, based on the census data that were released this past summer, Michigan had lost over 26,000 people between April 1, 2020 and July 1, 2021. And this was partly due to the COVID deaths and partly due to Michiganders moving out of Michigan. And let us briefly explore both issues. Uh, based on the latest data, Michigan had a total of over 39,092 COVID deaths. If we compare Michigan and Sweden, which have similar size populations, similar age group breakdowns, and fairly similar climate, Sweden with over 10 million people had a total of 20,560 deaths, while Michigan with less than 10 million people had a total of 39,000 deaths. Sweden has kept daycare centers and schools open during COVID. Swedish government did not mandate wearing masks. They were just recommendation, but did not mandate them. Bars and restaurants were mostly open in Sweden. During the same time, Michigan had draconian COVID restrictions, school closures, mask mandates, and placed tremendous burden on children, businesses, and hospitality industry. And Michigan had 18,500 more deaths than Sweden. With all these restrictions, Michigan had 90% more deaths than Sweden. John, uh, what are your thoughts about addressing this issue, which led to a major learning loss of children in Michigan and had a negative impact on Michigan's economy and population loss with people leaving Michigan? Well, I think you bring up a very excellent point, and I applaud you for using something that's not used in the media very often, actual facts. And um, what you said is beautiful. It shows that the lockdowns didn't produce the effect desired. They did not work. Um, it shows that they did not reduce the number of deaths because you can directly compare to Sweden, as you did. 
and, and they have lowered this, even though they did not have all the draconian measures that we had here. So this is a very serious problem. Um, our governor was on a huge power trip, um, shutting everything down in the absence of enough scientific data to justify it. There wasn't, but she did it anyway. And many other governors around the country did the same thing. And the results were tragic. And the harm to kids is going to last for years of not being able to see their peers, not learning how to socialize, um, wearing a mask so they cannot see the facial expressions of other kids and learn the communication skill of, of being able to read people's face. That's a huge amount of damage that's cost the kids. And we're going to be paying a price for that for many years. It's an absolute shame. Let's also remember that our governor, while telling everybody else to stay locked at home, was taking a private plane, flying down to Florida. Her husband was going out on the boat to go out on Lake Michigan and boat around. At the same time, they're telling everybody else to stay locked down. Let's remember that they wanted the marijuana stores to stay open, but they wanted to tell you you couldn't go to church. Mm -hmm. um, the contradictions here were just so ridiculous and so insane. And it is clear based on the data, especially the data you just presented, that they did not work. So we've got to learn a very serious lesson for next time um, and not allow these kind of draconian measures to take place. Um, when there's no scientific evidence behind them. Another question regarding inflation. You brought up the supply issues with energy. And at this moment, when we had this high inflation and some 69% of surveyed expressing high concern regarding the prices of gasoline and energy, it appears that Michigan Governor Whitmer continues the pressure for the closure of the Line 5 which delivers crude oil from Alberta's oil fields to refiners in the U.S. Midwest. Uh, this easement on a four-mile section of the pipeline through the Straits of Mackinac was granted 70 years ago. Uh, John, what are your thoughts about closing Line 5, which today provides much-needed energy and heating to households in, in the Midwest? I think it's very unwise. I think in the environment that we're in, we need to keep that thing going so we can keep the supply coming in. Um, that's going to help people uh, when people are going to have to uh, pay an arm and a leg for a heating uh, this winter, especially hurting the poor and the vulnerable. To me, that's really unforgivable for the government to make a decision that makes energy more expensive for those people. And so I think we really need to make sure that's flowing and make sure that we have more supply and keeping that open is going to help to increase that supply, which is in turn going to help everybody, especially those who are on the edge and can't afford a whole lot. And last week on America's Roundtable, we were honored to host Dr. Ben Carson, the 17th Secretary of the Housing and Urban Development, whom you know well. In fact, a few weeks ago, Dr. Carson joined you in West Michigan on the campaign trail, and he has endorsed your candidacy. And from your experiences in working at uh, HUD, uh, what are your concerns about America's future as it pertains to economic opportunities for the current and next generation? And what are your concerns when you see America in decline today and what can be done to reverse this negative trend impacting our fellow Americans? Well, yeah, I mean, this is a worrisome issue because I like the country I grew up in. It offered opportunity for people from any background to be successful as long as you were willing to work hard, work smart, and be patient. America offers you the opportunity to be successful. We are losing that right before our eyes with everything that's happening in our country, and especially with the younger generation. If the inflation keeps going the way it is, they're going to have to pay so much more just for basic things. Um, housing prices have been going through the roof, um, which is good for those who already own a house, but terrible for the younger generation who are just starting out and wanting to be able to buy a house and have that for their family. Um, that has been a very serious problem. And we know right now that uh, people are paying a record amount of their monthly paycheck uh, towards our mortgage because of the rapid rise we're seeing in interest rates, um, which is happening in a very disorderly fashion due to the total incompetence of our current leadership. That's hurting young people in a very big way um, who are trying to start out and have uh, their family and buy their first home. This is really disastrous. And all that extra money that they're having to pay for their mortgage, they cannot put into starting their own business. 
or going to get their graduate degree or investing in their kid's future. So we have a double whammy um, in terms of the pain that's caused to the next generation that's trying to start out. So we're going to really have to address this problem to make sure that the current generation of young folks has the same economic opportunities that um, everyone else has had in the past. And for the record, we have invited Hillary Skolton, your opponent, for a discussion on America's Roundtable and have not heard back. And we just wanted to make sure that our listeners understood that. And in your final thoughts, what is your message to Michiganders, uh, the folks in West Michigan, and America's heartland? What should they be aware of as they move toward November 8th? I think, you know, the key thing to be aware of here is this election on November 8th is not so much Democrat versus Republican. It's crazy versus normal. Do you want to pay $7 for a gallon for gas or not? Is there a male and female or is there 57 genders? Should there be chaos and total war in Ukraine and Afghanistan and everywhere else? Or should we have peace? Um, This is not the 1990s where one party wants to increase taxes by 2%. The other party wants to decrease taxes by 2%. No, we're not in that time anymore. We're in a time of absolute craziness. And we need to vote for sanity and going back to normal. And that's what I stand for, unlike my opponents. Um, So I'm I'm getting us back to the country we all know, recognize and love and grew up in. And uh, people can find out more information on my website, votejohngibbs.com. You can sign up for all kinds of things on there and also donate as well. But yeah, this election comes down to a simple choice, crazy versus normal. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, independent. I want the vote of every independent and every Democrat to the right of Karl Marx, as I call it. Um, and I think we're going to get those votes. Um, so uh, I would respectfully ask for people's votes and to remember what's at stake this November and find out more information at votejohngibbs.com. John, it's great to have a great American patriot on America's Round Table, and we thank you so much for your time and your continued leadership in addressing the vital issues of our day. Thank you, John. Thank you for joining us, John. Thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting Corporation and Supertalk Mississippi Media. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by economist Natasha Sardorch, co-founder of International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable guests include leading voices from business, government, media, energy, technology, healthcare, and the broad policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, and Spotify. Visit America's Roundtable at americasrt.com. americasrt.com. Follow us on Facebook, America's Roundtable, and Twitter at americasrt. We invite donors and advertisers to reach us by visiting our website, americasrt.com. Welcome to America's Roundtable.